If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I get into our first episode of 2020 had such a tremendous 2019 we have our first live show of 2020 and we talk about aew dynamite their first show of 2020 especially that opening contest with cody rhodes and darby allen cody rhodes the superstar that he is but also how darby allen's bringing the cool to aew we get more into aew dynamite especially the chemistry on commentary between JR and Taz. It seems like Taz is really doing some great things with AEW. We talk about a possible future with those two. Also, we get into what everyone is talking about, and that's Lana and Lashley, the big wedding from Monday Night Raw. We give our thoughts. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. No better way to start 2020 than what we saw. First of all, what I watched, uh, because NWA Power put out their fir- their episode, first episode of 2020 yesterday afternoon. And then, yes, AEW Dynamite last night, live on TNT. I don't think, honestly, top to bottom, watching that show last night, not much to complain about when you look at that show. I actually tweeted about halfway through that show that I thought, the first hour was as close to perfection as you can get, and I thought that was a great way to kick in 2020. I really enjoyed the show last night. I think the thing that I liked best about Dynamite last night was the look that that Daly's place or that Daly's arena. It's an amphitheater, right? It's yes. a shed where a lot of they do a lot of rock and roll shows over there. I like that different look. It, it's completely, well, it's just different. And, and that's what I like about it. I like the weird camera angles. I like the way they had the whole place set up. Just the way I take it in is different than a normal AEW show or a normal <clears throat> WWE show or NXT show. So just the different look alone, especially when Moxley was walking through the amphitheater, I really enjoyed. And a lot of the entrances and the way they shot it down on the floor. So uh, that gave it a different feel. Uh, In-ring action, they started off with Cody and Darby, and I think that was a really great first match. Got the, got, they, they kicked the night off really, really hot. And that crowd, that crowd was super into that show, and they were a perfect example of how a hot crowd can help to make or break uh, an event. And I'm glad you brought up, uh, you know, Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida, because that is an outdoor venue. And you know better than anybody, Bully, those outdoor venues, sometimes if you're watching at home or even if you're in the ring wrestling, can't get a really good gauge on the crowd because there is no ceiling. So the crowd sounds different. Sometimes the crowd sounds dead. That was not the case last night for AEW Dynamite. That sounded like a hot crowd that was into everything that was going on on that show. I do believe that place is covered, but I do get your point. And yes, they they were into it from the beginning. And how could you not be into it? I mean, you start off the show 
with Cody and Darby Allen. And Darby Allen is going to be a major star for AEW. This guy is super, super over already. Just, I loved his vignette before his entrance. I thought it was a little rough the way they segued from his vignette to his entrance, kind of like a hard cut, but that's a minor, minor thing. That video of him skating around with the, with the Cody mask and then burning it and then putting out the burning mask with his bare hands, man, it really, really works, and I think it resonates with younger viewers. I have a good friend who has a, a, a 9- or 10-year-old son, and I've seen the kid now probably three different times. Twice I saw him at my friend's house. He has on a Darby Allen shirt, and once I saw him at a local indie show, and he was painted up like Darby Allen. So if I'm seeing a 10-year-old on three different occasions, and all three different occasions, he's wearing Darby Allen stuff, there's a pretty good indicator that not only is Darby connecting with the 18 to 34, but he's, connect- he's connecting with the younger audience. And I think between his unique look, his style, and the vignettes that they've been doing with him, Man, the sky is the limit for guys like Darby Allen. And when I look, I look at Darby and I look at MJF, I'm like, they're so young. They're so talented. When they get true, true polish on them week after week after week, they are going to be unstoppable. Well, you know what that reminded me of? It actually reminded me of it when I was watching the vignette last night, Bully. It goes back to that question that we asked in our Defining Moments of the Decade show that you can hear on demand or caught hour two and three on our Tuesday show. Um, that that coolness factor when it comes to pro wrestling, and I I that's what I felt when I was watching that vignette before that match. You could see with Darby Allen that he is going to connect, like you said, to that eighteen to thirty five group, but also to a younger audience as well. And that vignette helped in that too. That's going to grab people's attention, and I think that's that coolness factor that we talked about in that show. Would you agree or disagree when I say that Darby Allen is probably AEW's version and this generation's version of Jeff Hardy? Yes. Yeah. That's why I look at him. I think that's a hell of a compliment. And also kind of kind of like on steroids. And when I mean on steroids, like it's even more of a personality and character than what we saw on Jeff Hardy and is more geared to this generation into 2020. And I loved I loved the skateboard. I loved the whole personality and character. And when you have somebody like that, that could help or hurt getting into the ring with somebody like Cody Rhodes because Cody Rhodes is extremely popular. I think it helped by being in the road with Cody, even in that loss. Like you always say, there's a big difference between going over and getting over. And I think the example is that first match last night. I think uh, it's obvious that Cody went over. I thought Darby got over, and I th- and I really liked what they did with Arn Anderson. Yes, they didn't do much, but what they did meant something. Arn stood in the same spot the entire match. Arn didn't move. Every once in a while, they flashed to him, and he sold with his face. You could see he was conveying the message so subtly. He was doing such a great job as a a manager slash uh, advisor. Uh, obviously, he's Cody's new head of his team or something. They, they like called that. him head coach. There you go. He's he's the head coach of uh, of the Nightmare Family. He stood there, and when the time was right, and only when the time was right. Arn pops up, tell Cody to pick up the knees. Cody picks up the knees. Darby uh, eats the knees, and and Cody gets the one, two, three. 
And that was the beauty of knowing your spot. It, that was the only time Arn was supposed to command the spotlight, and he did. And it worked. And they, they did a great job of telling that very first story of how Arn in the coder, corner of Cody is going to make a difference for Cody going down the road. Until, of course, Arn takes out that giant knife and sticks it right in Cody's back. And that's going to happen at some point. I love the fact that he's a head coach, and when you saw him communicating with Cody during the match, it was like the head coach where he's got the paper in front of his mouth where you can't you know, read what he's saying, you can't read his lips. I thought that was great because that's what a head coach does in the NFL, and that's what Arn Anderson was doing in that match. And you're right. The only time he really got himself in a – in a, a spotlight, so to speak, is when he yelled out, get those knees up, get those knees up, and that led to the victory, which is what it's supposed to do. A good head coach is going to lead his team to victory, and that's what he did with Cody. Also, going back to Darby Allen, one thing that, and again, it's it's a it's a band that I never heard of, and I don't know if you heard of them, but uh, Darby Allen went to the ring with uh, somebody from the band, uh, a member of the band, uh, Ghost Mane. I don't. I never heard of the band, but again, that's another added element to Darby Allen and the coolness factor that he's going to the ring. He's making his entrance with uh, with somebody from a band, and the band was Ghost Mane. Uh, I totally agree. I haven't seen anything about Darby Allen's act right now that I don't like. Um, the, that what's he called? What's that that move he does where he jumps off backwards uh, and and in uh, like the nesty plunge? What does he call that? Oh yeah, when he, when it's uh, the coffin drop. Right? Is the that coffin, the coffin drop. drop? Yeah, yeah. That's about the only thing that I get a little nervous for him on. Or the nesty plunge. He... I actually like the nesty plunge better. Oh yeah, the nesty <laughs> plunge. Yeah, yeah. Us old folk call it the nesty plunge. Um, that's the uh, when he does that move and uh, to the apron and when he misses, man, you're, you're inches if not centimeters away from bad bad stuff happen. I just hope he's careful with that and only breaks it out when it's absolutely necessary. Doing it in the middle of the ring, no big deal because whether you're hitting it or missing it in the middle, um, you know you you can take a clean bump. That move to the apron, or ah, man, I think I even see to miss it to the floor one time. Oof. I cringe when I see that. So that, that's about the only thing about his act that I hope he's he works smarter with. And also, too, uh, when you talk about the beginning of that show and that matchup, uh, Taz on commentary. I thought Taz did a really good job on commentary. Obviously, he's worked with JR before. They had a really good chemistry last night. Taz and JR have not been sat next to each other probably in a decade, right? Yeah. It's been, when was it's, the last time Taz Smackdown. and JR? Yeah, years and years and years ago. Within the first five minutes of the show last night, you would have never have thought they had been away for 10 years. And that's what happens when two professionals come together. They, they get right back into a rhythm, right back into a flow. And you saw that. Um, I don't know what the future holds for Taz and AEW, but I know that Taz is a hell of a guy behind that commentator's uh, uh, position. Mm -hmm. I think he did a great job, obviously, back in the day with SmackDown. I thought he did a great job in TNA, and I think he can lend a tremendous amount of credibility to AEW because I will say this about Taz. There are very few veterans out there who truly understand and can get into the mind of an AEW younger wrestler. And I'm sure people are saying, well, 
Bubba, how the hell can old Taz get into the mind of the younger AEW wrestler? Well, you have to remember, guys like Taz and Dreamer and Bubba, they were those younger AEW wrestlers back in ECW. Taz knows how these guys think. Taz knows what they're trying to accomplish. They, he knows the passion and the, you know, the piss and vinegar that's going through a guy like a Darby Allen's mind. So he can help tell those stories. He can help get them over. And by understanding the psyche, understanding the, uh, the psychology of what AEW is trying to do can truly help. So if you got a guy like Taz who adds a street cred to your announced team, if you got JR, who's the be all and end it all, uh, a professional there. And then you got, um, Excalibur, who is the, 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 the guy on the inside, you know, can give us those, um, you know, names for all of those cool moves that the guys do and who has come up with those guys and understand it. I think that's a good mixture of talent at the booth. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 or on demand with the Sirius XM app. Arn Anderson already paying dividends for Cody Rhodes. Man, you just stole my thunder because I just wrote that down. Already the head coach paying dividends. Right there, Taz is lending credibility to Arn Anderson and getting that story over. Taz and JR are going to be able to help talent in AEW who might not know how to help themselves by telling stories in the ring. Taz and JR are master storytellers who are going to be able to convey to the viewers exactly what's going on i popped so hard last night when jr was talking about trying to win the match and the winner makes more money man what makes wins and losses more credible than money listen if you're if you're fighting in the octagon and you're an mma fighter there's a bonus if you knock somebody out if you're you know in boxing it's all about making money in this these prize fights the winner gets the winner's share, and the losers gets the loser's share. And JR brought that very, very real aspect of the fight game into the world of pro wrestling last night. And it's a little tiny thing that makes a world of difference to me. And I thought Taz and JR, with their individual quotes throughout the night, or individual little quips that they had, um, put a lot of credibility on the product. And that's something that I guess you would agree that kind of is missing from pro wrestling commentary for the most part, when you look throughout all the other shows and organizations, they, you know, just the art of really explaining it in a simple way. You know, maybe they get caught up too much into the storylines, but the commentators are supposed to get you into the match. And what better way to get you into a match bully than explaining why wins and losses matter at the end of the day? Something Cody preached with AEW before the show even started. He came on our air and said, wins and losses will matter. Now you're seeing that come into play. You're seeing that the wins and losses matter where your, you know, where your rating or your ranking is within the company. But also, JR made it even more simple than that. Hey, when you win, you make more money. Wins and losses matter in AEW. How easy is it for everybody to understand the fact that when you win, you make more money? That's it. Everybody can understand that. It's it, Keep it simple, stupid. And there's nothing as simple as understanding that if you pin your opponent or you make him submit or tap or whatever, you are going to get more money. Very, very credible. And you know what else, Dave? Tell me if you agree with this. Whenever 
JR is out there with Tony and Excalibur, I think it almost feels like JR feels like he needs to lead the dance, like really take control of, of the whole announced team and really, you know, take the brunt of it, put it on his shoulders. With Taz by his side last night, I didn't feel that. I felt the more relaxed JR because I think he had total confidence in Taz's abilities to be able to work with and then share the responsibilities of telling the stories and getting everybody over. Wow, that's really interesting. Because if you look at Excalibur, obviously Excalibur uh, new to this type of stage when it comes to broadcasting. And then you look at Tony Schiavone, and Tony Schiavone has been out of it for so long. And I, I think he's been amazing. I thought he was great when he got his feet wet with MLW and, of course, diving in with AEW every Wednesday night. I think that when it comes to Tony Schiavone, though, being back in the world of pro wrestling, you know, a place where he was gone for over a decade. And then you look at Taz, and Taz really hasn't left. He still did his podcast. He was still doing, you know, talk radio. Uh, and there is the comfort when it comes to JR and Taz because they work together. I mean, obviously, JR worked with Tony Schiavone, but that was, oh, that was going back to the 80s when they worked together with World Championship Wrestling. I think there's something to say about what you just said, Bully, and that a confidence factor. I, I feel like, you know, JR can not so much sit back, but you're right. He he knows with Taz he doesn't have to lead the dance. It's more of like a balance between the two. I kind of felt that last night too. Now, I think JR's been, you know, you know, been criticized and I think it's been, you know, terrible the way he's been criticized because I don't think it's justified. I think he's been very very good, but you can tell last night he was much more comfortable in his position than he has so far since the start of AEW. It was, it was apparent to me within the first five minutes of listening to those guys. Listen, I'm sure JR has a, <clears throat> a level of comfort with Shivani, and Shivani being behind the desk back in the day was one of my favorite guys to listen to. But, God, you know, let's be honest here. Taz has called WrestleManias. Taz knows what it's like to have the, you know, ungodly amount of pressure of having Vince McMahon in one ear and Kevin Dunn in the other ear. And one of the things that Taz always had a problem with is he wasn't allowed to just sit back and just tell the stories as they naturally popped into his head, a la the days in ECW. So... For Taz to be able to be there, sit next to JR, who's the lead guy, sit next to Excalibur, who can call all of the, you know, uh, you know, Tope Suicida Con Helos. I can't even believe I know that word. Um, <laughs> I hear it so much on Wednesday nights. Uh, you know, Taz can fit into his groove of giving the product that street cred, that, uh, I'm just going to go back, that ECW-esque passion vibe that AEW is capturing so well in that bottle while JR does what he does. I'm, I'm telling you, Dave, within five minutes, I could tell, like, wow, look at this. JR and Taz are falling right back into the groove you know how i always talk about like if you have professionals and professionals who who've never seen each other or have never touched each other in the ring if you took a pro wrestler from california and a pro wrestler from uh new york who were you know seasoned veterans and they met in a wrestling ring in chicago the minute those guys touched there would be an ebb and a flow because they would know who the leader is who the follower was but because they have so much polish and time under the belt and reps 
They know immediately how to work with each other, despite the fact that they might not have seen each other in 10 years or never worked with each other at all. That's what we got with Taz and, and, and JR last night. They haven't sat next to each other in a God's age, but you would have never known from last night. Yeah, and you talked about the chemistry. I'll, I'll take it from another side as well, and that's with Taz being a talk show host. And I'm not just talking about his podcast. He was on national radio doing sports for CBS. That element of comfortability, you heard it in his voice last night during the call of that show. Uh, he was comfortable. It, it, it's kind of like he's the everyman. You know, he, he was talking for the fan, but also being a professional broadcaster. That's something that's tough to do. That takes balance, and he was able to do that. I felt at times last night when he was talking, not only did I feel that he was calling a match, but I also felt like he was talking like a talk show on radio. I, I really felt and heard that in his voice and his mannerisms last night. You know how a couple of weeks ago we were uh, praising Samoa Joe for how much credibility he was bringing to the matches in WWE? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Taz. Taz is one of the originators of it because <clears throat> he was doing it back in the WWE and especially in TNA. Joe uh, Taz understands what it's like to be put in a hold or put somebody in a hold or be dumped on your head or in Taz's case, dump somebody on your head. I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, been dumped on my head many a times by him. Um, so he can he can take the action and make you understand it and help tell the story better. So. Uh, last night, I know, was a special guest appearance. I don't know what the future holds. I thought that they did a great job last night. And I got to tell you, my opinion, as of right this very second after hearing last night, I'd love to see them move forward with JR, Taz, and Excalibur. And Tony should be the in-ring interview guy. Tony should be kept for those real special moments, those real special interviews. Because when I see Tony in the ring, you know, interviewing a Cody or in the back interviewing somebody, I believe it brings credi more credibility to everybody else. Because I hold Tony in very high esteem, okay? I think Taz and JR have a little bit better of a chemistry together, and I think Tony should be utilized to help get guys over because of Tony's really great interviewing skills. Well, I, listen, I can't, I can't argue with you when it comes to Tony Schiavone and his interviewing skills. I actually think Tony Schiavone probably be more comfortable with the role that you're presenting right now. It's hard for me to say I would want Tony Schiavone out of the booth. He just brings something to a broadcast for me as an old school wrestling fan. He brings a comfortability to me. I love Tony Schiavone in the booth. It's it's really it's it's really uh, you have a bunch of treasures here because I think all four of those guys bring something great and something different to the table. A lot of people on social media have been very very hard on Excalibur, and I understand that sometimes he he gets a little too smarky sometimes and and some of the things. But I, I kind of think that that works for him. And I think that's an element in 2020 that you need in the broadcast booth. It's very, very hard. I'm not asking to remove Tony Schiavone, but man, when you hear Taz last night, it's like, God, you have to make a place for this guy. And maybe the scenario that you just brought up, Bully, might be the way to go in the future. Listen, uh, I, I think of all, if you're a football coach and you have a player 
who can play um, both sides. Let's take a Deion Sanders, for example. Mm-hmm. Deion Sanders was a defensive player his entire life until somebody real until the Cowboys or whoever realized, wow, he would make a good wide receiver also. Man, we can benefit from all of these guys' talents. I just think that Shivani sitting down within backstage interviews and really one-on-one talks, he can really bring it out of some of the younger talent to give these real credible sit-downs, give it a real feel. It's just something about Tony's uh, demeanor, his voice, his knowledge. I-, I think AEW's in a really great position right now. We have Shivani, the possibility of Taz moving forward, JR and Excalibur. Man, we're checking off all of the boxes when it comes to storytelling, knowing what the modern day moves are, and getting guys over. And I think Tony Schiavone's role originally was supposed to be the role that you're presenting right now. He wasn't supposed to be a part of the commentating booth. They made that change just before week one. So maybe when it's all said and done, there could be a change. It's it's Listen, after listening to Taz last night, man, that was some old school chemistry between him and JR, which I think is going to benefit the show. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music, plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Just go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com busted. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. How the last Raw of 2019 ended with the Lana Lashley wedding. Um, Again, looking at social media, it seems to be split down the middle. Bully, I know you are a fan. You are highly entertained. I know Mark Henry, judging from his social media, he found it entertaining. I did not. Gabby and her whole family loved it. Alex, what did you think of it, quickly? All right. I think... I think there's something to both sides of this here. As what far, is, how did you as feel? Far as what when I, you watched it, how did you feel about it? <laughs> Dave, you're treating Alex like I treat you. I know, yes. <laughs> I, I can't even preamble. I have to no get preamble. right to it. No preamble. Answer the question. <laughs> um, I did not like it. Okay. But not for the reasons that other people I think were talking about on social media. The reason I didn't like it was that I just didn't really find it all that funny. Like, I didn't look at that. I didn't watch it and go like, oh, my God, this is so great. Like, I get it. I get what it was. It was supposed to be bad. It was supposed to be a car wreck. It was supposed to have all these different things. I mean, you go, oh, wow, this is so crazy. There's all this craziness going on. But at the end of the day, I didn't really feel like it delivered on that. I feel like it could have been a little bit funnier. I felt like it could have been a little bit more creative. I felt like it could have been a little more clever. At the end of the day, it wasn't really something that I hadn't already seen before. And that's kind of how I. And that's about. fair. I I wasn't entertained by. It. I actually watching it. I stayed off of social media because you and I were preaching all all Monday morning about you know we're going to be more positive. So you know I said you know what I'm not going to kill it because judging from social media there was a lot of people who liked it. So I'm not going to shit on anyone's parade. I was like you know what if I have some complaints I'll voice it on busted open, but I'm not going to go to social media and I didn't. Um, but you're right. Like, at the time, none of the other things came, like you said. Like, here in 2020 and end of 2019 when this aired, you know, there being a lesbian relationship, that's not shocking anymore. Like, that's 
that's kind of common now. I mean, as it should be, you know, maybe 25 years ago or even 10 years ago, maybe, you know, people would have looked at it a bit, a little bit differently. But I think, you know, you know, that's kind of changed over the last decade. And, and I really didn't look at that as being a shock. But watching it again, Bully, and Alex and I watched it again this morning. And I feel like watching it a second time, I think they presented that in a way that it was supposed to be a either shocking to the audience or a joke. Like it, it did it. It went over my head the first time I watched it. But I feel watching it a second time, they did present it that way. And I think that's why it got a little bit of a backlash. I know Joey Ryan uh, put out a tweet about that as well. And something that maybe was a joke or shocking 15, 20 years ago shouldn't be. And I feel that a lot of people watched that segment and felt, man, the WWE hasn't really evolved as much as they should have. You can, everybody is entitled to their opinion, blah, blah, blah. Alex, your assessment of it, I get it. Listen, some people like the taste of something and some people don't. You didn't like this particular taste of entertainment. I totally get it. it would, I, I could never sit here and tell you you were wrong. You didn't find it funny. You didn't find it entertaining. I think what Gabby said is really interesting, though, because her family members mm-hmm. who don't watch the product watched the entire segment and were extremely entertained by it. Newsflash, that's exactly who the WWE was catering to. Dave, how many times have you heard me say on the show, WWE does not cater to their fan base because their fan base is going to be there and has been there forever, and they will continue to piss off their fan base as long as they have to. They're not consciously pitching them off. They're not writing to piss off their fan base, but they they already know they're not going anywhere. They've been loyal for entirely too long. And the numbers support it. So we're going to write something that people who normally don't watch the WWE are going to watch, i.e. Gabby's family, and we're going to cater to them. And if if they were laughing, they were entertained by it, I think it's a great example of what the WWE was trying to accomplish. Because everybody that hated it is talking about it. Everybody who loved it was entertained by it. Here we are four days later, we're bringing it up again. Um, you can have your opinion on it. I just don't understand how people found it shocking. Like, how am I supposed to, why should I be shocked that a a, a girl, a woman and another woman are in a relationship? What what's so shocking about that? Well, the way they set it up, though, bully, like they they presented it in a way where you thought she was coming out to talk to Bobby Lashley, but it was really for Lana. They did that, that to me. Watching it a second time, I think they set that up for shock value. And honestly, what you're saying is a hundred percent true. In 2020, that's not shocking at all. I feel watching it again, that they tried to set it up for shock value, which I think, honestly, is a little dated on the WWE's part. Uh, and, and the shock value, I think, is just going in the other direction, not the fact that they had a, um, a, a, a gay affair. I think that you just didn't expect to hear Liv say that she was, you know, uh, having an affair with with Lana. I don't think anybody was shocked by that it was a, 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 a gay affair. That didn't shock me. 
It's like you go, whoa, and then you're, you're past it. I, I do agree a little bit with them missing the boat on live. And it's not for the reasons that everybody's talking about. Everybody's like, oh, this is how you bring back Liv Morgan. This is how you bring back Liv Morgan. First of all, did you hear the response when Liv Morgan came out? Uh, if you mean silence, yes. The silence was deafening on Monday when Liv Morgan came out. I would say 95% of viewers had no idea who it was, and most people thought it was Dana Brooke at first. At least that's what I'm reading on social media. So when I saw it, like, I obviously knew it was Liv when she came out. Most people didn't. There was complete silence. And here is where they dropped the ball on Liv. They could have done one tiny, tiny little thing that would have made a big difference when it came to people understanding that that was a returning Liv Morgan. Do you know what it is, Dave? What's that? Bobby Lashley could have identified her by name. When she came down, Bobby said, I've never seen this woman in my life. Well, am I to assume that a WWE superstar doesn't know who a fellow WWE superstar is? He made her seem less. If she would have come out and Bobby would have said, whoa, wait a minute, Liv. You know damn well that we've never been together. Now, uh, now I have a WWE superstar name IDing the other superstar. Now you've told me who she was as opposed to letting me speculate about who she was. And here's the thing. They've been showing those Liv Morgan vignettes on Raw, and they had a Liv Morgan vignette earlier in the show, and still people didn't know who she was when she came out. Or at least if they did, they didn't care because there was no response from the crowd. And the Liv Morgan vignettes building up to the wedding have been kind of sultry and sexy, haven't they? Yes. We see her in a bathtub. We see her in a robe. We see her with her makeup, uh, you know, um, face in the mirror. You know, th- there was a bit of sex appeal to the vignettes leading up to her return. Why should I think that they were going to go in any kind of different direction? If you see a woman in a bathtub or hey, let's say you see a man in a bathtub. What 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 message are you trying to convey in the bathtub? You know that you're taking a bath and you're cleaning yourself. I mean, you know, come on. I guess I guess that's one way, but not the way that most people are going to be thinking. Um, and and again, I guess it's perception. Uh, you know, and and obviously with social media, people are gonna gonna voice their opinions. I decided to stay off of it because here's the other thing too, bully. We don't know where this is going. I mean, this is, is this a one-off for Liv Morgan or is this going to be a continued storyline? Because obviously with the mess that took place, the, 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 you know, the I do's never happened in that segment on Monday. So go ahead. And that's why we need to get the wedding part due. (laughs) It was never, it was never official. Then the preacher never announced them husband and wife. We got to do it all over again, oh, brother. Please don't. Here, here's the thing. And, Bully, <laughs> I know it's a car crash, and maybe I look too much into things, but, like, you know, I do like a little reality in my wrestling. Obviously, this segment, there's no reality in this segment. It's Nothing not at supposed all. to be. No, I, I know, and it's supposed to be just a goof. But, but even, like, you know, Lana's ex-husband comes down the entrance ramp like she's arrested. Like, he's hanging out in the back. And, you know, it's I, I know you're going to say I'm looking too much into it, but come on. Could you at least try? Could he at least came out of the crowd for crying out loud? 
Dave, we have had a conversation. You have admitted that you were entertained by Mae Young giving birth to Mark Henry's bastard hand child. It could yes happen. Or no? It could happen. How could you be entertained by that? You didn't poke holes in that. You said you wanted to. You want your wrestling to be a little bit more realistic. May Young gave birth to a hand. Hey, listen, and there was five roaring. There was five roaring fingers. over it. There was five fingers. There's five fingers on a hand that had five fingers. Mark Henry gave May Young the five finger death punch. I don't know. I don't know how to react to that. It's, but you know what? It was bad. That was funny. It was. It was re- ridiculous. But it was. There was nothing funny about that segment to me. To me, nothing. 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 I, I felt I almost felt like I had seen it before in a movie where the bride, you know, where everything goes wrong for the bride. I, I almost felt like in a weird way I was watching the movie Clue, kind of like what's going to happen next. And then this person came in and this person did this and then he did it. She did it. It's like, what's going to what's going to happen next? Like how much wrong could this possibly go for Lana? Well, you know, and it just keeps piling. As you're saying it, do you ever see that movie Bad Things? With uh, God, I can't remember her name. She was in, um, she was in Mask, and she was in something about Mary, uh, Cameron, Di- Cam- Cameron Diaz. She was like, she had to get married, and like all these bad things are happening, and she's just like screaming at the top of her lungs. That's what it kind of reminded me of a little bit. I, I totally agree, that, and that's what I got. This this woman who is so annoying that absolutely positively have to get married right now, and then this is going wrong, and this is going wrong, and she's screaming and yelling. You got to give Lana credit; she did a great job playing that annoying. Just, I, I don't even know what the right word is to describe um, how she's coming off, but she's doing a great job of it. She's, I mean. My God, she's rolling around on the mat. There's cake all over the place, and the, the dress is coming up, and she's all over the place for the whole world to see. Her husband's right there. Her boyfriend, Bobby Lassie, the preacher. You know, I was waiting for Hornswoggle to come out. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 or on demand with the Sirius XM app. Let's go back out to the nation. Everything's on the table before we start moving on. Let's go out to Jay in St. Louis. Jay, what did you want to say about AEW and Moxley and Jericho? Happy New Year, Dave and Billy, and everyone that busted open. How are you guys doing today? Happy New Year, Jay. Um, first of all, I will be at uh, Revolution um, in Chicago, and I plan on having a uh, – hopefully to have a Dave look like a fathead, so I will find a way to get a hold of one of those to nice. uh, have it – um, on camera and everything. Um, my thoughts on AEW last night, you guys were t- talking earlier about the storylines and everything and the storytelling. I-, I was writing down, just from last night's episode, I thought I wrote down like seven different storylines they have going on, um, whether that were, that were started or continued or anything like that. So I think they're doing an incredible job with storytelling. I love the storytelling they're doing with Mox and Jericho, and they're building it up. They're not just, you know, giving it to you right away. Um, and, uh, two points I wanted to make real quick. I really enjoyed, uh, Taz on commentary. Um, uh, it was, I felt he was very, you know, he had done his homework and everything and knew the talent and, um, was very, very, uh, good with Excalibur and JR. One thing that really stuck out to me last night, um, was the interview that they had with Riho and Britt Baker interrupting that interview and really showing, um, some 
some big personality and everything. You know, it's not just I'm happy to be here and everything. Um, she got in Riho's face, and um, I know that they're going to have uh, Riho versus Chris Statlander next week. But, I mean, between that, the Nyla Rose uh, post-match attack and Britt Baker, I think we actually have some good feuds. Uh, that can happen for the uh, AEW Women's Division. What do you guys think? Yeah, Jay, you're 100% correct. And, Jay, thanks so much for the phone call. And I think last night, like a lot of people have been critical of the Women's Division with AEW, but that was one hell of a showcase for them last night on AEW Dynamite. And he mentioned Statlander, who was not involved in that match, and you're going to see next week. They're starting to build on this Women's Division, and you know how they're doing it? By having stories and having feuds, Bully. And now you're becoming more and more emotionally attached to the personalities in their division. And that's going to go a long way for AEW. I enjoyed the women's four-way last night on AEW Dynamite. I thought it was a great effort. People were uh, biting on the false finishes. Everybody hit their spots really well. Here's one of the minor misses, though. Nyla Rose, by far the biggest woman in the match. Mm-hmm. Um... Sets up a table, sets up what's the other uh, what's the other girl's name? Um, not the champion, Britt Baker. No, oh, it wasn't Britt. It was, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Sets her up on the table, gives her a running senton off the apron through the table, and then approximately two minutes later, she does back up and in the match. Horrible placement of a table spot. Why? Why, why prostitute the table spot? And this is not the first time I've, I've brought this uh, to people's attention when it comes to not properly registering, not even registering, registering is the wrong word, not properly selling the table spot. Well, you why mentioned it with use... Becky Lynch a couple weeks ago. Absolutely. Why not use the table spot towards the end of the match to take that girl out? Thus, she could not be involved in the finish. Just to put somebody through a table at in the middle of a match just to use it for the pop makes no sense. Tie some psychology on it. I'm not saying don't do the table spot. By all means, do the table spot. Just do it someplace where it makes sense. Was this, was Sheeta was was she a part of the finish? No. Nor did she have to be. Try right. take her out towards the end. Use that table for a big pop and then piggyback the rest of the finish off of that table bump and you build to your finish. It's a crescendo to the end. It's a big build to the one, two, three. But they just used it in the middle of the match. It got its gratuitous pop. And then the girl came back in the ring. So I guess Nyla Rose wasn't beast enough to put Sheeta through a table. Thus, it doesn't make Sheeta look strong. It makes Nyla look weak, especially that, especially that they just did an angle where uh, where um, Nyla got fined for putting a, refer- a, a referee through a table. She's, I mean, you could stick the table gimmick to Nyla Rose right now where she just puts person after person through a table. Let's keep it credible. Let's make it mean something. Not, let's just not throw the spot away. Now, conversely, on the back end, I liked when she put EO through the table. Uh, not EO. Um... Rio. Um, Rio through the, through the table. That's, that's heat on the champion. That was good, and they left her laying. 
And honestly, I would have just liked to have seen the table spot at the end. You know what? That probably wouldn't have been the best thing is just to have that table spot after the match because, again, it it falls into what Nyla Rose is doing right now. The match is over, it's finished, and then she puts the champion through the table. And, again, all the heat is on Nyla Rose, and there's your champion that you want to get all the emotional backing from is lying there on the floor. It's a really good point by you. But – like you said, that was a nice showcase for the women. And because now we're getting stories from that division, it's getting you more emotionally invested. And they're really building on a women's division. I don't think a lot of people have said from the start of the show that they have a terrible women's division. I don't think you could say that anymore when it comes to AEW. I think that they are taking steps forward every week. Um, sugary sweet Brick Baker does not do it for me. Britt last night having that edge telling uh, telling Rio, hey man, hey girl, I'm here every single week. I'm busting my ass. You you know you show up whenever you want. That was the best fire and personality I think we've seen from Britt Baker so far. I like this edginess to her. I do too, and and, and it's definitely working. Speaking of uh, women's division, I wanted to bring up. Um, and I tweeted about this yesterday, was NWA Power. Uh, Tasha Steeles and uh, Marty Bella had a really good match on NWA Power last night, Bully. And Tasha Steeles is a future superstar. I look at her, I know she's been on this show several times. She's a friend of the show. One hell of a showcase with Marty Bell last night. And the NWA is building one hell of a women's division right now. Great get for the NWA. There are two women... <clears throat> that I strongly suggested, if not politicked for, in Ring of Honor. It was Tasha Steeles and it was Chris Statlander. I, I, I told Ring of Honor, you need to sign these girls. These girls are, 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 are going to mean something for your division. They will help your women's division. Don't know why it didn't happen. Doesn't matter now. Great get for the NWA getting Tasha Steeles. Great get for AEW getting Chris Statlander. Yeah, it really is. And now we're seeing as big of a year as like 2019 was for women's wrestling. When you look at the new younger talent that is now being spotlight on major organizations, I think 2020 is going to be a big year too, Bully. And I definitely want to see the AEW's women division tighten up and get better as the weeks go on. Because listen, we've been saying week after week, if there's one thing definitively better about NXT than AEW, it's the women's division. Those girls are superior athletes who have a lot more polish to them. But I, what I saw last night from the women in AEW was definitely a step in the right direction. Absolutely a good sign. And speaking of AEW, let's go out to Tyler in Massachusetts who wants to speak about AEW. What's going on, Tyler? Uh, what's up, guys? Happy New Year. Here's to a uh, year of wrestling fans just being happy and appreciating wrestling and not being assholes and complaining about things and disrespecting things. And let's all just uh, be happy and experience wrestling the way we should. Here, here, my friend. So um, I want to talk about AEW and Dustin Rhodes because I believe Dustin is... Um, just as over as Cody is right now, and I think they're the most two over faces in AEW, and I absolutely love them both. And Dustin's the storytelling with Dustin has been absolutely incredible for going back to when the inner circle broke his wrist. That was, what, three, four, five weeks ago now, I believe, at least? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they've been teasing the face-off with Hager. They've done that quite a few times now, and when they did it in the match last night with Guevara, they kind of gave each other that look, like, you and I are going to meet meet in here eventually, 
And I think a lot of people are really looking forward to that, and that's going to be incredible when that happens. And, Bully, I want to get your opinion on the match next week. The Rhodes are teaming against the Lucha Brothers, who are known to be a bit spot-heavy and crazy. So do you think Dustin Rhodes is going to be able to kind of rein them in a bit and ground them Mm. for a more psychological match? Uh, I think Dustin, uh, at this point in his career, is going to be more apt to wrestle the style that those guys are most comfortable with. They're the younger stars that in the tag team division that they're going to want to push and move forward. As a professional, Dustin is going to want to work to those guys' strengths and try to accentuate their strengths. Although I'd love to see it start as a traditional tag match with some psychology that broke down into that, you know, Lucha Brothers kind of um, spot fest match. You know, when it comes to professionals, Dave, um, and I'm, I'll, I'll go back to uh, the Orange Cassidy thing, and it kind of relates to what uh, my opinion is about Dustin. A lot of people don't understand or get the whole Orange Cassidy character. Um, as professionals, as veterans, whether it's myself or a Dustin Rhodes, we don't necessarily have to understand the person's character, a la an Orange Cassidy. Our jobs is to work with that younger character to, even if we don't understand it, to be able to make their positives even more positive, to get them to the next level. So if an Orange Cassidy is doing his shtick or his spot with a bully, or if Dustin uh, Rhodes is doing uh, the Lucha Brothers style in the ring, our jobs as vets, as professionals, is to work with, not against So many people are like, well, why would these veterans do this? Because we've already gotten over. Now we're going to try to help get other people over. And I think you'll see Dustin Rhodes and Cody, hopefully the two smarter guys in the ring when it comes to psychology, slow the Lucha Brothers down a little bit in the beginning. Keep it a traditional tag match where you want to see somebody get tagged in. And then once you get that hot tag, then blow the roof off the place and go Lucha Brothers style. There's no reason why you can't get the best of both worlds. And here's an example of where I think when it comes to the officiating and some of the things that we talked about AEW needs to improve on. This would be an example of that because you could use those rules the right way. You can have the counts in the ring so there isn't the double teams. You could do that in a match with the Lucha Brothers and the Rhodes Brothers, which you can't do with the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks because it's all about that high spots. It's all. It's not really about telling a story there. Now, do I think they should still uh, implement those rules? Absolutely, yes. But I think next week you're going to see a better example of that on AEW Dynamite. It's hard to settle down into a traditional tag match with psychology if you don't have a definitive set of baby faces and definitive set of heels. Because then when you settle down to heat, it doesn't mean anything. You can't get heat on somebody if you're not hated and the guy that you're getting heat on is not loved. Uh Uh-uh, Ricky Morton. Uh Uh-uh, Ricky Steamboat. So easy to get heat on these guys because they would love baby faces. If you have uh, the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks, who's getting heat on who? It's true. It's but here's the thing now it's gotten to the point bully and I think uh, our caller mentioned that earlier on in the show where now when you see and you said it too because you actually went and took a little bit of a break during that match you know what you're getting in that type of a matchup you're not gonna get that you know 
storytelling, slow down, um, emotional type match when you have those type two types of teams in the ring. It's going to be a spot fest, and it's going to be those holy shit moments that you're going to get in that match, right? Am I am I wrong by saying that? You are absolutely right. And what I would love to see in a match like that, especially with a guy like Kenny, because I think you can get sympathy on Kenny. I really do. I would stop Kenny and slow it down and get some heat on a body part. Unfortunately, I think the business has gone in the direction so much where we're so used to spot fest type matches that if we invested time in getting heat on a body part, sometimes it doesn't work. Now, if you were to take, uh, um, I, I, I don't know, if you did uh, Kenny and, uh, who did Kenny team with last night? Uh, uh, let's just say the Bucks. No, Kenny, yeah, Kenny. No, Ken, no, Kenny was with the Bucks last night. I understand. Let's just take Kenny out of the quiz. Let's okay. say you had the Bucks versus the Dudleys, right? The All Dudleys right. are working heel. Easy to slow that match yes. down. Get heat on the Bucks leg. Why are we getting heat on the Bucks leg? To take away the super kick. And you work on the leg, and you work on the leg, and you work on the leg. And when you're done working on the leg, you work on the leg some more. And that, then that hot tag means something. Now you want to see that fresh kid come in, boom, 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 flipping and flying, punching first, kicking second. When you have two teams that are known for big spots, lots of athleticism, and when the people love every single one of these guys just as much as eat, you know, anybody else, all we're doing is placating to the emotion of joy and happiness. You need opposite ends of the spectrum. And the Bucks can do that because when you mention the Rock and Roll Express, it's funny. We always talk about the emotional investment. We always talk about the hot tag with Ricky and Robert. But for their time in the 80s, they were the young Bucks. I mean, those were the two guys that in the ring showed athleticism that you normally didn't see in professional wrestling. But also when you saw their matches, there were no more... There was so much psychology in their matches and emotional investment in their matches. The Young Bucks could definitely do the same thing, without a doubt. When the time is right, with the right tag team, and I've seen teams try to do this, Mm -hmm. but they're not really following through on it. This is going to be a very long, played-out story. See how Dustin uh, Rhodes was selling the arm with the cast for a long time? Okay, Some tag team needs to break both of the Young Bucks' legs. Break one of Nick's legs, break one of Matt's legs. I want to see the Young Bucks not wrestle for six to eight weeks. I want to see them in casts, on crutches, for six to eight weeks. And if you got to live that gimmick for six to eight weeks because of the eventual blow-off and payoff, then so be it. You do it. Because if I'm a tag team wrestler, what do I want to do? I want to take away their biggest strengths. I want to take away the super kicks. And if I take away the super kicks from the Young Bucks, that makes I, that means I take the super kick party away from the fans. And that's how you get heat. A long time ago, I pitched an idea to Vince McMahon about me and Devon crushing The Rock's throat. So The Rock couldn't talk anymore. I wanted to take away the people's voice from the people. Obviously, it never happened, but Vince told me he really, really liked the idea. When you see a baby face that has something that resonates with the people as a heel, that's what you want to zero in on and take away from them because now they will feel sympathy for them. Take the super kicks away. How big do you think the place would blow if they didn't get a super kick for three months and eventually the Young Bucks came in and were able to double super kick the two guys that broke their legs in the first place? Tremendous. It'll be tremendous. 
Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast.